little bit, a little hard to get going this morning, so uh, let's uh, do a little uh, faith exhortation on one another. Let's do something like traditionally Christian this morning. It'll be a new thing for us. Turn to somebody and say, peace be with you. If you grew up in a liturgical church, you're very used to this. Peace be with you. Share the peace of the Lord. Peace be with you. We're peacing out. We're peacing out. What's the proper way to say peace be with you? What's the proper? And, and, and also with you. All right. They're the, uh, they're the former Catholics and, and Anglicans. And All right. What's the proper tone to say peace be with you? Peace. Gregorian. You want a Gregorian tone. You want to chant it? Anyone else? Peace be with you. And also, was that was that like a British accent? We need peace. Jesus said uh, in the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, "Blessed are the peacemakers." Right? Blessed are the peacemakers. One of one of his more famous phrases, actually, and of course, peace is a huge. A Christian virtue. Peacemaking is a huge Christian uh, virtue. So here's your warm-up question today. I'm going to give you uh, a little while to think about this. What does it take in this world to be a peacemaker? A peacemaker. I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it and be brilliant. What does it take to be a peacemaker? All right, tell me, what does it take to be a peacemaker? Love. love. It takes love to be a peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. One might say all you need is love. I've heard it said. I've heard it said. I'm not so sure about that, but all right, what else? What does it take to be a peacemaker in this world? Courage. Courage, yeah, because uh, maybe, maybe not everyone likes peace. Yeah, self-control. Is that, is that what I heard? Why, self, why self-control, Courtney? Because sometimes it takes acting in the opposite spirit that you want to act in. So maybe somebody is provoking you to lose your peace, and then you have to control your instinctive emotions and uh, respond in your higher uh, emotions. For instance, self-control, that's a good one. Always a good one. Uh, I have a saying, all virtues are released through the virtue of discipline. Self-control is, of course, of self-discipline. What else? What does it take to be a peacemaker? Chutzpah. chutzpah. And, and for those of us who are not fluent in Yiddish, <laughs> chutzpah means... You just go for it. You just, you just push through. A little daring. A, a tiny bit of arrogance. A little swagger uh, to be a peacemaker. And that, that's an interesting response uh, but I think a very true one, right? You, you have to be daring. You have to have a little swagger to you, a little uh, self-confidence and willingness to, um, to, to, yeah, to be a little bit arrogant. Yeah, what else? This is good. Patience. patience. Got to be have patience to be a, a, a peacemaker. Mercy, yeah, uh, because if you're going to make peace, you might have to forgive some stuff. 
Good. That's a good seasoned Christian answer. What else? Be a peacemaker. Hanging, Couple, out, with hanging out with Jesus. There's a process answer, right? If you're going to be a peacemaker, you have to hang out with uh, the peacemaker, right? You have to get to know your model. One more. This is going to be the best one. What is it? Compassion, Compassion uh, which is a, a, a motivator, right? Because if you want to make peace, presumably, uh, you're going to do it out of compassion. Literally means uh, with passion or shared, well, literally it means shared pain. Um, so, yeah, all really great answers. All right, so you guys should be great peacemakers. Uh, when Jesus said that, blessed are the peacemakers, the idea of peace that he had in his brain, uh, since he was a first century Jew, first century Hebrew, was probably the very Hebrew concept and the Hebrew word, shalom, that's right, good, shalom, which in great tracts of the earth today is still uh, a greeting. If you're anywhere in the Muslim world, for instance, anywhere in the Jewish world, you would greet each other by saying shalom or salam, depending on, on your language. And shalom was a very well-developed Hebrew concept, right? It didn't just mean getting along, right? Which is sometimes how we define peace. Shalom meant everything is, here's a 1970s word, copacetic. Do you know, you guys remember that word? If you're, if you're, uh, if you're old enough, if you were really cool in the 1970s, which of course I was as, as a child. Um, I said, how's it going? I said, man, everything's copacetic. Any, anyone? I spent the 70s in California, largely. So. Um, and it just meant everything was cool, right? Everything was working with everything else. And that's kind of the idea of shalom. Emotionally, the idea of shalom is, is something like this. If you can remember your little child um, and kind of just resting in the arms or in the lap of your mother or father, presumably you did that as a little child, not all of us had that, and you felt loved and protected and provided for all at once, if you had that experience as a child and you can remember that feeling, that's always struck me as a great moment of shalom. You know, it's like everything is right, everything will be okay, I'm covered, you know, I'm covered. I know not all of us had that as children, but if you can remember that, that's, that's kind of shalom. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, I think he's kind of saying, blessed are those who spread that on the earth, right? Which is pretty, pretty high concept, uh, pretty, pretty complex thing. Here, here's where he said it. I, I've quoted the verse several times now. I'll read it for you. Jesus' most famous teaching, probably the most famous moral teaching in all of world history, is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's recorded in fullest form in Matthew uh, chapters 5 uh, through 7. And he opens the Sermon on the Mount um, with this section that traditionally is called the Beatitudes or, or the Blessings. Um, and uh, verse 9 and 10 of the opening uh, chapter, chapter 5, go like this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, sons of God. In the traditional Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. The next verse, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, from a very young age, the juxtaposition of those two verses always struck me. It's like, blessed are those who make peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. It's like, it's like Jesus is sort of implying, well, if you're going to spread peace on earth, you're going to get beat up, <laughs> right? Uh, he says that back to back. More than that, you're going to get beat up for doing the right thing. You're going to get beat up for defending righteousness. Another word for righteousness is, is, is justness or literally it's just rightness, doing things the right way. It's kind of like he's implying if you're going to make peace, you're going to have to try to make things happen the right way, and then people are just going to really hate you for that. Good luck. Um, that's how the Sermon on the Mount opened, and then he goes on to give all of these uh, tremendous teachings, uh, many of which are famous, even among non-Christians, and a lot of which are provocative, like love your enemies, you know, speaking of forgiveness and peacemaking, um, quintessential Jesus teaching. So peacemaking uh, is a rich concept, uh, and Jesus hints at the very beginning of his teaching ministry that it's going to be a provocative path of life if you are a, a peacemaker. So we're in this sermon series in which I try to teach you how to be good devils. Um, I am a so-so Christian. I think I'd be a fantastic devil because um, it plays to all of my strengths. Uh, I am uh, um, devious, you know, highly, highly uh, deceptive. And I gave the opening sermon in this series last week. I tried to teach everyone how to be a devil. And then uh, true to form, my Ohana group on Wednesday night complained to me about it. And they said, we couldn't tell when you were saying Christian things and then when you were coaching us how to be devils. Like, you should have a hat, you know, like maybe a horned hat or something. And when you switch into devil voice, put on the hat so we know you're being deceptive. My response, of course, is you're missing the point, right? The point is... I'm trying to teach you to be self-aware enough to know when deception is happening. So being a really good deceiver, I keep you on your toes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and they've given me nicknames like, like sociopastor. And they accuse me of de-psychoship. Um, so I feel like this is a real meat-of-the-curve sermon series for me. Uh, and uh, I just, so I'm just going to tell you up front, right? I'm, I'm trying to teach you how to be devils so that you're aware enough to know when the real devils out there are deceiving you. That's the point, right? So try to catch me, you know? Um, so occasionally uh, in this sermon today, I'll be speaking to you as a representative of Jesus, uh, but mostly I'll be speaking to you as a representative of the devil. I'm pretending. Um, but that's the point uh, of, of the sermon series. I'm, I'm acting up a little bit. Uh, headline for the sermon series, uh, we gave last week the headline, Satan's number one trick is to get you to do dumb and destructive things that you think are virtuous. That's the number one trick that the devil has. Um, Paul tells the Corinthians, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, right? It's not just tempting you to darkness. Satan tries to fool you about what darkness and light are, 
right? So he tries to get you to do stupid, destructive things that you think are good things. That's the ultimate aim of any good devil. And so that's what I'll try to train you to do uh, today as uh, devil, devilish uh, protege, proteges. Satan is not smart, but he's really good at his job because it's a really easy job. You know, the world really helps him. And the way, uh, protege devils, the way we do this, if you're keeping score, if you missed last week, the way we get... Uh, we become really good deceivers in, in the world. The way we masquerade as angels of light is that we get Christians to w focus on one virtue in exclusion of all the other virtues. Well, last week we talked about grace. Grace is a combination of truth and love. It's a combination of having a standard but being really generous and free with how you apply that standard. Easy going uh, about it. Uh, so truth and love, two virtues. If we devils can get Christians to focus only on truth and to never be loving and generous, they will cause a lot of destruction in the world. They'll be holier-than-thou rule keepers, and they'll just mow everybody down. If, on the other hand, devils, we can get Christians to just focus on being loving and nice and not caring about truth, then everybody will forget what the standards are and they'll do all of these destructive things in the name of compassion, in the name of just being chill and easygoing and whatever. We will corrupt the golden rule to do unto others as you would have them do unto you and we will change it to don't do anything to anyone that you wouldn't have them do to you. Did you catch the difference? There's a devilish deception in that difference. So it's really easy to be good devils. I hope that you're paying uh, attention. Uh, Jesus, that troublemaker, uh, spoke to this issue a lot uh, in a teaching in Matthew 23. Uh, Jesus said, <clears throat> this devil forgot his glasses. Uh, 23, 23. Uh, he's talking to uh, Pharisees. Uh, and Pharisees were religious experts of their day, and they were really great rule keepers. They were really great on the truth side of things, but they had forgotten the grace and the love side of things. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, Jesus said. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without forgetting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Have you guys heard that teaching before? What Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, to these rule keepers, to these religious zealots is like, look, you're really into tithing 10% of everything because that's you know was an Old Testament rule. And you'll even do that with your table condiments, <laughs> right? With your salt and your pepper and your Tabasco sauce, your mint and your dill and, dill and your cumin. My favorite spice is cayenne pepper. Hot, as befits a devil. <laughs> I just thought about that. I'm mildly disturbed by that all of a sudden. <laughs> but I do love spicy food. So you imagine like, like you know, 
tithing a tenth of your spices you know, to the temple in obedience to God, but you forget to be loving and compassionate to the people you're supposed to be shepherding, right? You're kind of mean-spirited, but rule-keeping. And Jesus says, that's, that's hypocrisy, that's nonsense, that's destructive, that's stupid. And, and the way he puts it at the end is, um, you should have practiced the latter without forgetting the former. In other words, you want to do everything at once. You can't forget any of the virtues. As soon as you do just one, you forget the others, you've become a devil. At least your influence becomes devilish. Uh, we have a word for doing everything at once, having it all together, and that word is integrity. Integrity. Integrity comes from the word integrated. And what does integrated mean? Integrated means tied together, right? Everything is coordinated together. If you are a person of integrity, you do everything at once. You do all of the pieces. If you are not a person of integrity, then you only do one piece or two pieces. You just choose your favorite pieces and you don't do the others. You just choose your favorite virtues and you don't practice the other virtues. You just choose love, but you don't do truth. Or you just choose truth, but you don't do love. And then you're non-integrated. And the Bible word for that is hypocrite, um, as Jesus uh, defines it. So our job, devils, is to get Christians to be non-integrated, right? We compromise them in terms of their integrity. They'll pretend that they have a lot of integrity with respect to one virtue, <laughs> but they will lack integration of all of the others. Are you following me? As good devils, give me a hiss. Oh, glass. no, those are your glasses. I can't read with your glasses. <laughs> Get behind me. <laughs> She's trying to deceive me, and I'm not falling for it. I'm not falling for it. And that's integrity. So uh, our task for today, uh, you lovely young devils, is to figure out how to use peace against those pesky Christians. How would a devil use peace against a well-meaning uh, Christian? Peace and peacemaking. And the way to do it, of course, is to make peace a standalone virtue, right? Is to make it a virtue, a way of life in and of itself. Because if you pursue peace and you forget all of the other stuff, you will actually create destruction and war. It's wonderful. So everybody go, mwahahaha. Some of you were better at that. <laughs> we're going to have to get good at this. Uh, we want to make peace a deceptive thing. This devil uh, has a PhD in uh, political science, international relations, and he spent way too many years in graduate school just uh, studying uh, military history and the history of uh, peace accords and stuff like that. And in this realm, the most famous example of peace gone wrong is the Munich Accords. Everybody know about this? Munich? Yeah, because nobody remembers that there was actually a 20th century, the bloodiest century in all human history. And uh, in the 20th century, there were a couple world wars. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody remember the world wars? And there was this guy in the Second World War, his name was Hitler. Anybody remember Hitler? And Hitler uh, these days is synonymous with evil. 
right? When we say the word Hitler, he's like, he's like the villain of all villains. But what people forget was that Hitler became Hitler by masquerading as an angel of light, a deliverer. Hitler was uh, a big-time social justice warrior in Germany in the 1930s. It had been a really tough time for the world, right? It had been the Great Depression. And the Great Depression followed World War I, which was called the War to End All Wars. The planet had never seen a war like World War I. It was epic, epic. Millions and millions and millions of people died. Tens of millions of people. And, and, and there were new weapons like machine guns that just, just made the war unimaginably crazy. So it's called the war to end all wars, and everybody was exhausted, and Germany was on the losing side of that war, and they just got reamed, they got destroyed. And afterwards, there was great economic destruction and inflation in Germany, and then the Great Depression came, so Germany was, was just bottom of the barrel experiences. And so this guy rose up, he was a, he was a, a labor union leader, and a party of labor unions, the, uh, the uh, German national... Uh, Workers' Party or Nazis, and uh, and so his his sermon was: we need to establish justice again for the German people because they have been oppressed. They were betrayed by their former government. We are a new government, and all we want is is fairness and equity for the German people. And we were robbed of land that was supposed to be ours. And anyway, that was that was his that was his rationale. And he was willing to fight for what was right for the Germans. Um, and there was a, a part of this country called Czechoslovakia that uh, Germany laid claim to, the Sudetenland, which was ethnically German, although belonged to a different country. And so Hitler was saying, we deserve that land back. What was really going on here is that the Sudetenland was mountainous. And those mountains prevented the German armies from invading the rest of Europe because they were a big natural boundary. And Hitler knew that if he could get those mountains and then establish his army on the other side of the mountains, there was nothing stopping the Germans from invading the rest of Europe. Are you following? Military history. I love it. So basically, he threatened war. And uh, some of the big leaders of Europe, including France and and most famously, the United Kingdom and Italy, they got together and they negotiated a peace with Hitler at Munich. And Hitler said, if you just give me the Sudetenland, if you just give me half of Czechoslovakia, then I'll never want anything again. And so uh, the European powers were like, sure, we'll give you uh, this portion of, of Czechoslovakia. And Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister of Britain, went back to London very famously and lifted up the parchment of the peace accord and said, we have guaranteed peace in our times. And then, you know, the rest of the history. Hitler was like, well, now there's nothing stopping me. And he invaded the rest of Europe. He took France in like six weeks and, and, and Poland, and who was actually on his side uh, with respect to Czechoslovakia. Anyway, so the term Munich means a false peace. Um, so all of these well-meaning peacemakers, right, made peace with the devil. Peace with the devil. And making peace with the devil is, of course, no peace. And people remembered this for a while. Uh, now, of course, nobody remembers that history, so they have all forgotten it. Mwahahaha. 
Um, it was a great example there for a while. Peace with the devil is not peace. So the devilish trick, boys and girls, is to get humans so attached to peace that they'll make peace with the devil instead of making peace with God. False peacemaking, right? When peace is the highest virtue, when it's all about just getting along, uh, then we've got them right where we want them. We've got them right where we want them. Um, it's easy to sell peace because all you have to do is preach against war. And war is never good, right? War is never good, right? Well, I mean, unless you're fighting Hitler, <laughs> right? Unless you're fighting the devil, in which case war is an absolute necessity for a Christian. We want to, we want to make them believe otherwise. War is never good. War is never, never good. Uh, it's not about what you're fighting for. You won't want to do anything violent to get there, right? So it's pretty easy uh, to, to preach against war and pretty easy to preach peace, even if it's peace with an evildoer. And that plays right into our hands, right into our hands. Give me a hiss. I need my glasses. My devil glasses on because I'm not seeing clear. Am I freaking you out? All right, you're getting the point. If we've confused Christians about how to pursue peace and we've confused them about how to use war, uh, then we can tempt them uh, to do one other really helpful thing, which is we can make them fight other Christians. Right? Because if you don't like war, if you don't like people being mad at you, then disagree with a Christian because Christians are nice and they'll never cause that much conflict in your life. And so if we do this really well, devils, what you'll find is a bunch of Christians who are afraid of offending the world but who are always concerned with revolutionizing their churches. You see what we've done there? Right? You see what we've done? We've made provocation the purview of Christian against Christian, and we've taught Christians not to provoke the world. That's the ultimate devilish aim. Are you following me, or do I have to explain that again? Everybody, expl explain it one more time. Okay, if we have convinced Christians that it's bad to fight against the world, bad to change the world, as it were, some Christians will always feel like that's not right. And so we will take the peace-loving Christians and we will focus them on the warmongering Christians and they will fight among themselves. One Christian is willing to offend the world, one Christian is not. We'll take the Christian who is not willing to offend the world and we'll make sure they're offended by the other Christian. Now, Christians are fighting against Christians instead of fighting against the world. We have them right where we want them. Following me? And we've done all of that by making them peace-loving. By convincing them that they need to make peace with the world. That they need to get along with the world. That they need to appease Hitler. Got it? 
And that's been a devilish strategy for a long time, a long, long time. You may not know this, but you read in the Gospel of John that the high priest in Jerusalem, their rationale for selling out Jesus to the Romans was that they were afraid Jesus would provoke the Romans into attacking the Jews. And so they were willing to sell out Jesus in order to keep peace with the Romans, the Hitlers of their day. Um, so this has been a strategy that we devils have used against Christianity uh, for a long time. Um, so we want to teach Christians, in summary, to avoid conflict, particularly conflict against non-Christians. Right? We want to convince them that it's appropriate to spread the gospel through peace, defined as a lack of conflict. We want to teach Christians to be agreeable above all things. Peace, first and foremost, peace alone. If you are agreeable and nice, you're being a Christian. If you are disagreeable and pig-headed, you're being evil. That's how we want to make them feel. We want to teach Christians to be nice above all things, nice and only nice, to always come across as nice and to be deathly afraid of not being nice because then we can manipulate them with that a little bit, right? We can cause them to make peace with the Hitlers uh, of the world in both big ways and little tiny ways because it usually starts with the tiny ways. We want to teach Christians to be soft and never hard, never hard. Because if we do that, then uh, we can push them around. Are you following? So that's our, that's our, our goal. You like it? Well, if you don't like it, you're not very good devils. Come on, people. Uh, the truth is that even forgiveness can come across as hard because if a Christian says, I forgive you, are they not implying that you've done something wrong? And that's not nice. So let's just take forgiveness right out of the public conversation. You're not allowed to forgive anyone because you're not allowed to think that anybody did anything wrong because that makes you conflictual, not peaceful. Judgmental, right? which is a terrible thing uh, for a Christian to be. And so we devils can use that fear in them. Speaking of fear, even faith can seem hard and rude to people. Let's say there's something worrisome happening on the planet, and a Christian says something faithful and optimistic. That can come across as hard because it seems neglectful of people's anxieties and fears, hard-hearted, a lack of compassion. For instance, if there were, oh, I don't know, say a great virus in the world, and, and, and some Christians wanted to say something that was faith-filled and optimistic about it, right? That's so rude. That lacks compassion. We can make that come across as warmongering rather than peacemaking. Are you following? The opportunities for us devils here are many. Mwahaha. I, I really don't feel like you're warming to this very well. Yeah. I'm trying to make you uh, clever. Anyway, real peacemaking is spreading shalom. Uh, it's not really spreading 
agreeableness, right? It's shalom is, is much deeper, much richer. What does it take to spread shalom? You know, that, that idea of, a, of a safety that comes with everything working together, right? A provision and protection and love all together. Well, it takes a lot to spread shalom. Here's the dirty little secret that we don't want Christians to understand. You spread peace by spreading peace as opposed to spreading peace by spreading agreeableness or spreading niceties, which is a very, very shallow form of peace. It's not shalom at all. How do you spread peace? Well, Jesus, that troublemaker, uh, gave lots of examples of this in scripture. Peace is when you can rest during a storm, like Jesus in that boat on the stormy sea. All of the disciples were freaked out, and Jesus was in the stern asleep on the ropes. Do you remember that story? And they said, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? Right? They accused him of lack of love when really he was just manifesting peace. And so Jesus woke up, he stood in the boat, and he said, peace, be still. And the storm went away. And the disciples were freaked out and they said, who is this who even commands the winds and the waves? And I think Jesus' response would have been, this guy, this son of man, as he often said, is, is copacetic, right? He can rest in any storm because peace is strong. You can only share what you have, right? You don't make peace out here you share peace from in here. Can you rest in a storm? Are you at rest in any conflict? Are you at rest against any threat? If you are, then you can spread peace. If you're afraid of conflict, if you're afraid of threat, well, that's not peace at all. That's, that's fear. That's not copacetic. There's no faith in fear. Are you following me? Everybody hiss. John, please. You're freaking me. I was like, see you do that at home? All right. Now I feel like you're starting to get it. Uh, let's, um, let's examine this troublemaker Jesus and his view on peacemaking uh, a little bit more. Uh, Jesus had peace uh, in spite of the threat of the storm in the midst of the conflict of the elements. Uh, you'll notice that he had peace before Pontius Pilate on the eve of his execution. Pilate flung a bunch of accusations at him, and what did Jesus respond? Trick question. He didn't say a word because he was just peacing out, right? He knew that peace was the ability to take it as opposed to, to be agreeable with what Pilate was saying. Uh, ultimately, he said, it is as you say, <laughs> Dude, whatever. <laughs> uh, think what you're going to think. Uh, sometimes, uh, for Jesus, peace meant going to war 
in, in some respect. You remember that when he went into the temple and discovered that the temple officials were not allowing Gentile seekers to come in and pursue the one true God, Jesus went nuts. He got violent. He made a whip out of cords and he drove people out of the temple, the money changers and the marketers out, and he overturned tables and spread coins and money all over the place and, and generally terrified people. Um, so that was peacemaking, right? What he was doing is he was restoring shalom, right? Protection and and plenty and provision like that. So peacemaking can look like a lot of different things. Somehow it has to look a, a bit divisive, uh, a bit uh, dramatic. Uh, a, uh, a passage that I think about uh, in respect to that is Matthew 10. Uh, you can follow that along in, in your phones and your Bibles. We're going to put it up on the big board here. Matthew 10. Now this story comes... Uh, at the time when Jesus' disciples had been sent out without him, they'd done their own solo mission, and then they've come back. And the disciples had a very successful mission. They brought a lot of people to faith. They did a lot of miracles. They did a lot of healings. They drove out a lot of demons. Boo! Uh, and they were debriefing that in a celebratory mood. Uh, and Jesus... Uh, in response, started saying some fairly somber things. And I'll pick up Jesus' reply uh, to them in the midst of their celebration, beginning at verse 34 of chapter 10. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, who just cast out a bunch of demons. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, if you were a disciple and you'd just been out on a solo mission, you'd brought a lot of people to faith and done some healings and cast out a lot of, what? Demons, devils. And then you hear Jesus say, I haven't come to bring peace. Who do you think he's talking about? What's he talking about? Fighting devils, right? Fighting devils is hard. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to do what you just did. So do not assume that I have come to bring peace to the earth because there's a lot of combat out there, right? And sometimes in the face of combat, you need to be combative. That's kind of his opening salvo. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now this is interesting, right? Because blessed are the peacemakers. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What's he talking about here? He goes on. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, that's not hard. Uh, <laughs> a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. This is Jesus uh, talking. Actually, he's, he's quoting from an Old Testament prophet, Micah, in that passage. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross, his electric chair, and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's your impression of that passage, young protégés? What's your impression of that passage? Violence. What else? Boot camp. In a, in a scary way, yeah. What else? 
difficult. Come on, keep going. How many like it? How many do not like it? How many find it offensive? Yeah, offensive is a good word, right? What's Jesus talking about here? He sounds so inconsistent, and we know that that's not like him. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, I've come to do something that's going to be offensive to everyone, right? Offensive even in your fundamental relationships. And you've got to get something straight, that this is, this is kind of all-out war. You have to have that mentality. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm a man of peace, and I have not come to bring peace. Things are going to be very conflictual. I think the difference is who you're making peace with, right? If the devil is in front of you, you are not a peacemaker. If the devil is involved in the situation, then you are not a peacemaker. If you're a Christian, right, uh, you're, you're going to have to be a tiger. Uh, you're going to have to be uh, willing to fight. Of course, there are a lot of people with whom you want to make peace, you know, because you love everyone. You like, even like to make peace with your enemy, if possible, but you can't make peace with Hitler. You can't make peace at Munich. You can't make peace with devils. Uh, if you're a Christian, again, as devils, we want to get Christians all freaked out uh, about that. We want to rob Christians of the ability to make war. We want to rob Christians of the ability even to have a conflict with anyone. That's what we're after as devils. Give me a hiss. Uh, Jesus said at another point, peace I give you, not as the world gives peace. Remember? Remember that? So Jesus was teaching his followers to pursue peace that maybe is not intuitive. Right? Not to pursue a world, worldly peace but to pursue a godly peace, which on, on this planet is often going to look like conflict. It's often going to look like Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Everybody's going to be upset with you. Everybody. I mean, your own children. If, if your children can lead you away from following Christ, then you have to be in conflict with your children. If your parents lead you away from Christ, then you have to be in conflict with your parents. If following Christ leads to your own death, then pick up that cross and take it like, like, a, like a Christian. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. If everything in your life is ruined, if you lose your job, if you lose your family, if you lose your social position, your social standing, if everybody hates you, that might be necessary. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. But what we want to do is sell peace so that Christians believe if they do it well, everybody will like them. That's what we want to sell uh, because then we can really uh, manipulate them uh, quite a bit. So Jesus is about peace with God. We devils are about peace with the world. I just want that to be clear. I know we just want to really confuse Christians about that, mostly by getting them to focus on peace more than they focus on truth or Shalom, or forgiveness, or grace, or righteousness, because you'll be persecuted for righteousness, uh, as Jesus says. Uh, so, when Christians do not agree with the world, we devils will accuse them of forsaking peace. That's the strategy. 
when you don't agree with the world, Christians, we will tell you that you're troublemakers and oppressors and betrayers. You lack cooperation, that you're not nice. We'll tell you that you're deeply offensive. Um, when Christians do not agree with the world, uh, we will accuse them of forsaking peace because that's what Hitler did, right? When Europe did not agree with his ambitious claims to wage war against Czechoslovakia, Hitler actually convinced them that they were being the warmongers, that they were denying uh, his people uh, justice. It's easy to make peacemakers look like warmongers. History teaches that. The scripture teaches that. And we devils have known it a long time. We can control Christians with this idea of offense. Christians should not give offense, should they? Christians should never give offense. Am I right? Am I right? Um, sometimes, of course, they should, but we don't want them to know that. We want to teach them, oh, don't, don't offend your coworkers, don't offend your, your classmates, don't offend grandma, don't offend tutu, don't offend the political left, don't offend the political right, don't offend women, don't offend the poor, don't offend culture. And then we have them. And then we have them. If you're afraid of offending, Satan has you. Yeah. And when Christians get wise to this trick, we can distract them by tempting them to get offended. <laughs> tempting them to get outraged. Making the peace all about them as opposed to making the peace all about God. Because if they get offended then they've lost their peace. And then they have nothing to spread except offense. Right? Oh, if we can get Christians offended at other Christians, that's just glorious for us. And then we devils can start our tap dance because that's how devils dance. They tap dance. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, they tap dance with jazz hands. There is nothing more satanic than jazz hands. Christians lay on hands. Devils do jazz hands. Yeah. Just, that might be a distraction in the sermon. But anyway, now I will take off my devil's hat and go back to uh, the real world and being the peerless Christian leader that I am. Uh, do you get it? Do you get it? I think the world is playing this game on us. I think the devils are playing this game on Christians. They've been playing it on Christians for 2,000 years. And, uh, and uh, they're really playing it on us with, you know, a perversion of the concept of peace spiced liberally with this idea of offense and outrage and oppression and justice and all of these other things. And the devils have Christians so confused they don't know which way is up. They don't really know what righteousness is and Christians simplify by seizing on one virtue and one virtue alone and they forget all of the others, right? They wanna be nice but they don't understand uh, what righteousness is or what righteousness requires. 
it's hard to be Christian. It's hard to be Christian. Jesus was so clear about that. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. That was his opening statement to the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's like you're going to get into a situation where you feel like you've got a cross on your back, an electric chair on your back, where you are under a death sentence every time you step out of your house because people hate you so much. That's what Jesus thought following him should feel like. Of course, he was saying that to guys who just did a bunch of miracles and cast out a bunch of demons, so he understood how powerful Christians are as well. Powerful and offensive. Powerful and offensive. Loving, but sometimes offensive. Right? And let's not confuse the two. Let's not confuse being loving with being liked. Very, very different things. And if you worry about being liked, if that is your definition of peace, then the devil just has you nailed. Has you nailed. Nailed. And in this day and age, we are punished severely for not being liked. Right? Because, I don't know, not just our normal social circles, but we've got social media and this constant barrage of judgment. You know, you know when you're not liked, right? You know when conflict is coming and the devil tries to edit you before you even get the stuff out of your mouth. And boy, we need to be very thick-skinned if we're gonna be peacemakers. If we're going to be at peace, we need to be at peace in the midst of that storm, that tumult, and all of the accusations, and the rage, and the outrage, and all of that stuff. No matter what's going on, we need to have peace within ourselves. And then, with great security, we can say, I don't agree with you. But we say it in a way that actually seems filled with peace. That's where we should be headed. Oh no, that's wrong. But without any flinch of fear in us. And then it's the spirit of peace moving against the spirit of conflict as opposed to the spirit of, I don't want to offend you, moving against the spirit of conflict. Do you see the difference? So peace can be an aggressive thing, right? We want to be able to be in conflict while being in peace. We want to have the storm and be tossed around while just sort of chilling out in the back, maybe taking a nap, it's all cool. And if we can do that and not worry about what people are flinging at us and not worry about what the threats are, not worry about what the fears are, then we can be peacemakers. If you can disagree without worrying what people think of you, you're cool, right? If you can love people freely and peacefully, even though they're offended by you, you can actually be super effective. You can actually change the world then, as opposed to just agreeing with the world and making nice with the world. Are you following? Now don't hear, say amen. amen. All right, does that make sense? Now you like me? So-so? <laughs> you spend far too much time with me to make a, a rush to judgment. All right, well, that's the end of that. Uh, Christ is God's peacemaker. And he's a good, he's a good picture uh, uh, of making peace. And he got killed for it, of course. Jesus was perfectly loving and radically offensive, right? I mean, he got into arguments every day of his life and he gathered people into love and security every day of his life. And that's, that, that's a pretty good uh, path uh, for us to follow. 
Paul calls Jesus the stumbling block. Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Jesus comes across as a, as a scandal and an idiot, and that's the Jesus we preach, right? But he's a good, he's a good scandal. Scandalon is the Greek word. Scandalon is a great word, right? The scandal bringer. Uh, and you need to be passionate about making peace with Jesus, about being in agreement with him, and you need to not be all that passionate about being at peace with the world, because we're not at peace with the world. We're spreading peace to the world, and that is a very different thing. That is a very different thing. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do your work here this morning among these would-be devils, uh, and I pray that instead of making us angels of a false light, angels of a false peace, you would make us angels of a true peace and a true light, and that we would be peacemakers instead of uh, agreement fakers. Um, I pray, Father, for a gracious conviction, if you need to convict us of making false peace where we should not, I pray, Father, for a work of conviction that you would, you, would make, you would convict us of fear that we should not have. We're not afraid of storms. I pray, Lord, that you would make us strong people who can disagree in peace. And thereby share faith and move in power to heal and deliver. You can't cast out a devil with whom you've tried to agree. You can't cast out a devil with whom you've tried to agree. In Jesus' name, amen.